Hey there, we're Augmenters. And today we are so excited to talk about creating community and belonging through mentoring. I'm Julie. And I'm Jimmy. And on today's show, we welcome Dr. Anita Jack Davies, who you will come to know as AJ. She is a true augmenter, and we learned the three mentoring roles based on her PhD work, and also the companies that move the needle and recognize DE&I as a not a nice to have, but as a business function, powers, value. Anita shared amazing insights from her higher education and global consulting experience and spark connections on how social capital and mentoring are in a flywheel. We are excited for you to hear what we learned. Augmenters, here we go. Dr. Anita Jack Davies, we are so excited to spend this time with you today. Dr. Jack Davies is the president and CEO of Mosaic Cross-Cultural Solutions, a consultant, a higher ed uh, guru, and somebody who we have just recently gotten to know. And we are so excited to have this conversation with you today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing amazingly. Thanks for having me. We are thrilled to have you. We have so many questions and so much to cover. The first question we usually start with is when we get to know one of our guests. We feel like mentors are people who tell you something that sticks in your head over and over again. That is great words of wisdom. So we're curious if you have a great phrase, word of wisdom, mantra that a mentor has shared with you that you could share with us. Gosh, there's so much to talk about when it comes to mentoring. This topic is so close to my heart because I've had some really amazing mentors throughout my career. I would say the best piece of advice I was given by one of my mentors, Dr. Gordon Smith, is he said to me, write that book, right? He said, don't, he said, don't wait. He said, time's going to go by really quickly. You're going to blink and 20 years is going to go by. And honestly, I almost laughed when he said it. And literally <laughs> like 15 years in, I'm like, wow, like those 15 years really, really flew by for me. So I took his advice. I was working obviously in the DEI space, but I always kept writing. I always kept writing academic articles, chapters in books, and then finally wrote my memoir. So I'm not going to go too far into that. But yeah, that piece of advice of keep writing was really important for me. And AJ, shout out Laurentia's last parang. I'm holding it now in front of the camera, but <laughs> you can't see it. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. I was really so excited to to publish that book. It took 10 years to write that book. And that's because I had writer's block when I lost my mother, who is Laurencia, who raised me. And I remember the day after her funeral, sitting on the veranda and overlooking this huge, you know, rainforest, Trinidad, and just feeling so empty and thinking, gosh, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to take this moment and turn it into something positive? And I told my granddad, who is my dad, I think I'm going to write about mommy. That's what we called her. And he said, you know, that's a great idea. And then when I came back to Canada, I tried. I tried everything and I couldn't write. So I kept doing references and research. And slowly over time, I was able to put put this memoir together. So I'm really excited about it. Thank you. And I would imagine, would you say, you know, we hear from guests that our families are mentors. Are there ways that you would say, of course, your mom mentored you? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think when it comes to mentorship, I know that I break it down into three different categories, if I may. So there is sponsorship mentorship, there is instrumental mentorship, mm. and then there's psychosocial mentorship. So let me first start with the sponsorship. In my career, I've had mentors who were sponsors for me. And for me, a sponsor is someone who I call like a sneezer, someone who can tell the world, like you're literally sneezing and telling the world about this person, the mentee. In my experience, my sponsorship mentor was Dr. Gordon Smith. And when I became the first dean for DEI at Queen's University, he was instrumental in opening that door for me, even though I was never in the room. So I wasn't even senior enough to even conceive of that position. But he was able to go before me and say, we really think AJ has something to offer this university. And then by default, offering you know the country as well. So I think that a sponsor plays a different role than an instrumental mentor. So an instrumental mentor is someone who is going to give you the nuts and bolts. They're going to give you all the information that you need. So it's very content driven. And early in my career... One of my bosses 
took on that role when I was first learning about human rights. And that's how I kind of started in the DEI space. I was a human rights rights advisor at Queen's. She was basically saying to me, this is how you talk to the media. This is how you write a brief. This is how you take on a case. This is how you pull a case together. This is how you report on a case. So that would be an instrumental mentor. And then the third mentor category is the psychosocial category. And for that category, I call that someone who is going to be a soft place for me to fall. So someone who I can call when I'm angry and about to make the wrong career decision. I've been there many times. As someone who will say, AJ, I I hear or I see this coming up and I worry about this for you, or I'm so happy that you wrote that book and let's celebrate. So I think that it's important when we think about mentorship to not look at it like all of these things are going to exist in one person. I try to look at mentorship like to the point earlier about my my mother being a mentor. Mentors will play many different types of roles at different times in, in our careers. So I think it's important to keep a range of mentors who will kind of fulfill uh, different tasks for us and support us in different ways. Does that make sense? Yes. I really like the idea of splitting up some of the roles that a mentor can play mm-hmm. and that it doesn't have to be, as, as we talk about, or we hear quite often in the media, you know, like a relationship partner is not somebody who necessarily has to be everything for you. Right. You know, if you're going to get pieces from many different social and romantic relationships to like, quote unquote, create that psychological village. Yes. And of course, why wouldn't it be the same for a mentor? Absolutely. How did you come up with the term instrumental mentor? Well, this is right out of the research literature. I was doing research. I conducted a study, not a study, sorry. I conducted a session for the Dunlop Institute for Astronomy and Astrophysics at the University of Toronto. The session was called Developing Effective Mentoring Practices in the Academy. And I wrote a companion piece. I did the training, which we recorded. And then I even pulled together like some feedback that I got from the session for the participants. And this came right out of the literature. And I even created this little acronym called SIP so that I could remember it, right? Mm. So I keep that in the back of my mind as I go through my career planning. So something really specific that I might do is I might say, okay, I'm going to make this decision about my career. Let me reach out to each one of my mentors for different pieces of what I need to pull together. Rather than thinking that I'm just going to sort of like use one mentor for everything, I feel like it adds a lot of pressure. Sometimes the mentor might be overwhelmed because it might not even be like their area or they might have moved on to another thing that they're doing. So they're no longer in the space that you found them in like 20 years ago. So I feel like breaking it up in this way, you're setting your mentor up for success, but you're also setting yourself up for success. And in terms of the psychosocial mentoring, Dr. Tamari Katasa at Brock University, he is my mentor, but I would put him in that psychosocial category. And we've had many discussions over the years about where am I going in my career? Because I... Although I had a PhD, I was never on the tenure track. So I was always in the academy, but one foot in entrepreneurship (laughs) and one foot in the academy, right? So right away, there wasn't a model for me to follow. And I needed him to say, hey, I'm in the academy. Look out for this. Don't do this. Do this. But then I needed some other mentors who weren't in the academy, who were in the business space to say, AJ, you're an academic. You don't know this. These are your blinders. And that's what I mean by not, as you say, putting all your eggs into that one basket, which isn't going to be fruitful for anybody, I don't think. AJ, I'm so impressed with how intentional you are with mentoring. I feel like the clarity that you're bringing to this conversation is is incredible. And as we have listeners who are thinking about these moments in their career where things change and they know they're going to need those conversations, how do you even reach out to these people who are kind of your mentors and say that you need help Mm -hmm. or that you want? You know, what does that actual language look like in those those reach outs? Sure. I would say that with the psychosocial mentor who I consider a colleague, a friend, a confidant, but all within a professional setting, of course, it that happened very organically. And we never use the terms 
mentor-mentee. That term came up when we were applying for funding at one point and we looked at each other and said, oh, we're applying for funding for a program we want to create and we're the model for what we're looking to, to get money for. I would say that in terms of the instrumental mentor who was my boss, I don't think she ever considered herself anything but my boss. But what she didn't know was I was secretly looking at her like she was my mentor, (laughs) right? Like I never said, oh, Eren, can you please be my mentor? But every meeting I went to, trust and believe, I took some notes and took my notepad and I was scribbling down every single thing she said to me. And I kept those notes. And then what, 20 years in, I still fall back on the things that she taught me because that wasn't written anywhere. That was from her background of going to the bar and looking at things through a legal lens. And I use a lot of that still. I would say that um, with respect to the instrumental mentor, I I feel like that's probably the most traditional form of mentoring as, as we know it. I think in those situations, it's okay to say, listen, we've met, we've had coffee, and I strongly recommend going out for dinners if you can and just having a meal together that's always a good thing when you're asking for support and just saying here's where I I am and here's what I need support with are you able do you think you might be able to help me with this and I think the most important thing about that conversation then becomes and what can I help you with it's not just what can I get from the mentor from my mentor but what can I give so I'll give you a really quick example with Dr. Tamari Katasa, he's my mentor, but because he's not a business person and he's an academic, when he wanted to start his consulting practice, I shared with him, here is my, here's contracts that I've done for clients. Here's what you need to get your, you know, insurance certificate, like a, a deep dive on like, here's business 101. You've helped me for 15 years. Let me help you a little bit to where you want to go, get to where you want to go so that the relationship is reciprocal, even if the main mentoring relationship, there might be a power imbalance there, or there might be like, you're way more experienced than I am. AJ, I'm curious how you maybe define social capital within mentoring relationships, and is a key piece of any mentoring relationship that delta or the difference in social capital reduces over time between the two individuals in the relationship? That's a really trick question. You're taking me back to grad school here. That's not a bad that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But I have to think about this question carefully because in my experience, I feel like that power imbalance never really changed for me because Ooh. I always knew that my mentors were people who were a lot more experienced than I was in certain areas. So even if I was to provide support to one of my mentors, I've always felt like I've always had that image of them as this is someone who has opened doors for me. This is someone who had the power to make things happen for me. And I don't think that goes away with time. I think that when you get to know each other, you break down some of those, I don't know if the word is barriers, but some of those titles and labels become less, what's the word? It it, it becomes less pronounced. But for me, it never really went away. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I guess it's less about the delta of the social capital going away. Mm -hmm. But I was almost thinking it in like the terms you laid out, which was an instrumental mentor or even a mentor as a sponsor specifically would be introducing you to people and, uh, you know, providing some of that access, whether it was relationships or knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so because the mentee isn't necessarily providing the same kind of access assistance to the mentor Mm. because the mentee is receiving the mentor is giving in a way the mentee is you know increasing their social capital so yeah you know i'm I'm not saying it's like mentor is x and mentee is 0.1 x but like over time maybe then the mentee is 0.15 x yeah so they haven't (laughs) fully caught up you know what i mean oh to your point absolutely when i think about 
my relationship with my instrumental mentor, um, Dr. Gordon Smith, there have been instances where I knew that I could support him with things and only I could bring that lens. So for example, because I'm a DEI expert, people will often come to me and say, AJ, I'm working on this project. I know the DEI component is missing. Are you able to just look at this for me, meet with me, tell me, you know, where I might be going wrong or whatever. And I've provided that in the past with Gordon. And I felt in those moments like, you know what, this is reciprocal. It's not simply me, the mentee receiving and Gordon, the mentor giving. It is a reciprocal relationship, but it's not always at the same quantities, I guess, at all times, right? Like sometimes it's like, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm a student. I don't know. Please teach me please help. And at other times it's, oh, I have this great idea. Do you think we can collaborate on this? Here are the things that I will do in order to make this happen. I know you're super busy. I will send you this and this is how I will follow up. So I, the message I would like to send to listeners is that I think mentees have a role to play in the relationship in terms of making sure that the mentor is set up for success, letting the mentor know when things are happening for you and keeping them up to date on like what's happening in your life, not waiting for 10 years and say, oh, hi, <laughs> can you help me? <laughs> you know, it's like, right? It's like, no, make that call, you know, check in, let them know how you're doing. When you have those, you know, the things that you're you're proud of, let them know if you're on LinkedIn, like show them what you're doing so that when the time comes, you, you might need that letter or you might need that recommendation. Now, all of a sudden, they don't have to go searching <laughs> for the information. So that's what I mean by setting them up for success so that they feel as though they can equip you with what you need rather than thinking, oh, well, that's my mentor. I'm just going to have them do everything. Uh, no. We're all busy. And if someone comes to me and says, I need a reference, and that's going to take me three hours to do, I'm like behind on everything, like just officially. So that becomes... <laughs> You're being too hard on yourself. You get too much done already. Right? No, but that that then becomes, even though I don't call it a burden, that then becomes like yes. one additional thing that I have to do. Now, if the mentee says, oh, AJ, can you help me with this? But by the way, here's the Google Drive with all the things I've uploaded for you. <laughs> Yes. That to me is like music to my ears. And it's like, oh, great. I am motivated to support because now I feel like this person, the mentee, isn't taking me and my time for granted. Mm -hmm. And that to me is extremely important in terms of that social capital that you're talking about. Amen to that. I actually just had a past student reach out and say, can you write a letter of reference for me? I'm like, sure, I'd love to. Can you give me a draft first? Right. Let me let me review it. Right. Now, uh, I was kind of like giggling to myself as you were like, you can't have one mentor be all things, as you said. You know, the sponsors, instrumental, and psychosocial. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I was like, Julie, we need to become partners because you can't be all these three things to me as a mentor. We have to be business partners, and then you could be all three things for me. Right. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. I love that story. <laughs> We're always evolving, right? And it's it's actually, I think a lot of what you're talking about to a certain extent is our last principle of evolution and how, you know, I think both Jimmy and I, our first mentors, which both happen to be named Pete, and we talk a lot about how over time it's just continued to evolve those relationships. Although you do always still have that feeling of, of if they're at first your mentor, you know, there's always a little bit of a feeling like, okay, this person is a little bit, you know, in the front. But yeah, I actually would love to pivot a little bit, AJ, if that's okay, yeah. and talk a little bit about your DE and I work. Uh, when we had a chance to chat beforehand, it was just so interesting to hear kind of the evolution of the last three years and the priority put on DEI, how things have changed within organizations. So maybe it would be great to hear a little bit about your work yeah. um, and what you bring to organizations and then how you see mentoring being a priority in that work. Sure. So I've been a workplace diversity consultant since 2011, well before George Floyd happened. And I started my business because I knew in my gut and business is sometimes just a gut feeling that there were people out there struggling, especially human resources leaders and things like that, just struggling with what to do about DEI, representation, 
creating workplaces where everyone could feel welcomed. And at first, I really struggled because I was living in a predominantly white city. And, you know, it's like, AJ, yeah, that's kind of nice, but we don't really need it. You know, we're Mm. not going to hire you and pay you for it. But if you want to come and do it for free, if you want to do something else, you know, we're we're, we're free to help you with that. So I really struggled. And then George Floyd happened, unfortunately. And my phone rang off the hook and I had to hire subcontractors who could help me with my deliverables. But what I basically do is I help organizations develop strategic plans around DEI so that they are approaching DEI as a business function rather than simply a social justice imperative. And so in my current role at RGA, I am their global DEI lead. It's been a really busy year. This is a global agency with offices in EMEA, LATAM. It just in Asia, we have U.S. offices. And one of the things that's a challenge is bringing everyone together to create a unified vision. And so this past summer, we basically rolled out our DEI goals for the entire agency and bringing leaders together from all these different countries where in those countries, the language around DEI is not even the same. In the UK, they don't even use the term Latine. So so how are you going to have a unified vision when the language in and of itself that we're using is so different and is so specific to that particular context. So one particular example is in Australia, indigeneity and indigenous ways of knowing is so critical to what they do. Whereas in the UK, it's it's important, but it's not like top of mind at every single point in hmm. strategy. So I sort of bring these ideas to the fore so that leaders will know, you know what, when we're thinking about what we want to do about DEI, I call it avoiding the hot potato. Let's not Think about it in negative terms because something happened. There's PR that's hit, you know, the press and something bad is said about your company. And now when people think about DEI, it's like, oh my gosh, it's something I need to get rid of. I think as long as we have this hot potato mentality surrounding DEI, there will always be whispers about it, discomfort about it, and people feeling as though this is a conversation only for people of color or for BIPOC employees. I think when it comes to mentorship, to answer your question, I think it's important for agencies, companies, organizations to really track what's going on with respect to underrepresented talent. So who are you bringing in? When are you bringing them in and why are you bringing them in? What's what's the goal of bringing them in? Because this idea of hiring someone as a token is really something that is very, very, very upsetting to, to people of color, especially. I think what data does is it tells us stories in terms of what we're doing and how we're doing it. I think, for example, at RGA, when we look at our numbers and we look at what did we do last quarter? What did we do the quarter before that? I like to look at numbers year over year. So a year ago, where were we? And when we started noticing that we had trends with with specific communities, so for example, one trend is that we saw that our Asian numbers were, were on the decline. It made us ask questions. What is going on? What's happening? Are people leaving because they're getting better jobs? And that was part of part of the reason. Or is there something else that we need to look into? So I think what the data does is it helps us to identify the problem And then it helps us to find solutions. So if we know that we have a problem, let's say, with our Latinx community, what are we going to do? Who are we going to find to bring to the table to help us solve that problem? So I think mentorship is really critical when it comes to data so that the mentor and the mentee is not too far from all the other things that we're doing to solve those problems. So when you're talking specifically about the mentors and the mentees in this case, what is like mentoring can be a tool, Mm -hmm. but it can sometimes feel difficult to describe relationships as tools. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a little bit about, you know, just like defining social capital because social capital is going to be bound up in relationships. How do you kind of tease out the the connection between relationships, which feels like a touchy-feely word compared to surveys and numbers? which feels very mathematical and doesn't really have any of the emotions behind it. Yeah. Well, I think when it comes to to data, I mean, we all know that you can manipulate numbers to tell any story, right? No. Yes. You're kidding. <laughs> 
So come but, on. Right. So, I mean, I, I want to start there to say that, you know, when we when we talk about, quote unquote, hard numbers, as if numbers are these objective things that just fell from the sky. Well, no, someone pulled that graph together. Someone added data, someone took away data, someone excluded data that would make the numbers go down. Like mm -hmm. there's there's all these ways in which data in and of itself is it's not value free. Let's just put it that way. I think we need mm. to move away from this idea that we've got, you know, data over here, we're dealing with hard numbers and there are no emotions attached to it. And then there's like relationships on this side and that's all touchy feely. And I can tell you that I've been in meetings where tensions have run high over data. Why? Because Ooh. everyone knows that there's so much writing on what those numbers say. Mm. And I can tell you that there are organizations who they understand that in the cancel culture that we live in, those numbers better be trending in the right direction or they will be canceled on social media. They will be canceled by millennials looking to see like, who are you and what are you offering before I come to work for you? So I actually don't believe that numbers are free of emotion. I think numbers are full, <laughs> mm. full of emotion. It's just Amen. that we are invited to believe that because we're dealing with numbers and we're dealing with data, that all of a sudden now, this has nothing to do with relationships. And I would say, oh, you haven't been on the back end of things when we're about to pull a report together that's going out publicly to see how many stakeholders are actually at the table quite interested in what these numbers are saying and what it's telling us about who we are as a company and what we're doing and whether we're on the right track. And what you're going to do about it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because once those numbers are brought to the forefront, I don't want to say always made public, there is the so what. So what are we going to do about it? And can we prioritize it? You know, you can't sort of pretend that it's not there anymore. So that's probably a huge challenge. That's right. And Julie, I just want to say a couple months ago, I wrote an article. It's on Medium and it's called data is just a small part of the entire DEI puzzle and i would love to give you that link Absolutely. so that your readers could have you know have access to it but it's it's something that i i care a lot about i'm very passionate about it even though i'm not like i'm not a quantitative person at all but i understand based on my grad school experiences that data is here to stay it is not going to go away and i would argue that the future of the DEI profession is very much linked to how are companies going to be managing data in future? And what are they going to be measuring? That's right. We know that you are not a data person, an emotional relative person, being a cancer also <laughs> here on this call. If Jimmy could see me, I'm sure. If I could see Jimmy, I know he'd be rolling his eyes right now. I can feel it. But, uh, I, and then I think, you know, something I know that we talked about as well, which I thought was just such a fascinating point was around organizations where there are, you know, sort of informal and or formal mentoring programs, mentoring relationships. As we're talking about underrepresented leadership, the pressure mm -hmm. for underrepresented leadership to not only mentor whoever, you know, sort of came along that HR connected them with mm. to be in a more formal program, but also so broadly. And how can the responsibility for mentoring underrepresented junior staff mm. be spread more evenly? Again, really, really important question because you raise the idea of formal programs. Most companies will not have a formal mentoring program. RGA, at RGA, we do have a formal mentoring program. And I know that based on the feedback that we've received from underrepresented talent who, who were mentees, almost across the board, they were all very thankful, appreciative, and grateful that they had an opportunity to even participate in the program. But one of the other things that I notice as well is that I think companies can do a much better job of promoting informal mentoring relationships and just making it a regular part of what we talk about. So for example, you know, when we have, let's say, a meeting, what about, you know, devoting 10 minutes each meeting to talking about how we can mentor each other informally because it doesn't always have to be like oh aj you're now linked with so and so from finance and the two of you are going to meet once a month and now you're going to go to lunch and you're going to because that can feel very contrived sometimes even though in some instances i would argue that 
the mentee actually needs that pairing. Like they, they, they need someone to say, hey, you might benefit from this. And we think if you do this, it's going to be a, a great thing for your career. I do believe that there are instances where if a leader says, you know what, let's take 10 minutes in this meeting for us to just talk about what informal mentorship looks like. And let me impress upon the leaders here that I would like to see each and every one of you over the next six months, impart your knowledge and, you know, share your skills with someone at this company. But I think it starts with leadership. I think it has to be a value of the organization. It's not just something that's going to happen if there isn't intentionality around it. Well, and it's, it's creating a culture of mentoring. It's really creating a culture of mentoring within the organization and also having the language like you're saying that people know if they are going to spend 10 minutes at the beginning of a meeting talking about it what are they saying you know what is sort of the shared language across an entire organization around it and back to your other point about data like how can you show that this works right how can you show that this works and that there is actually the financial ramifications right of like losing less people not having to hire so often right increased productivity increased feeling of connection and inclusion within an organization so there's so many benefits to it right yeah it's just really a matter of of making that a priority so I, i love what you're saying that there is of course these, we call it like being smashed together of people, you know, getting connected with, you know, Molly and finance and, and that's your mentor. But of course, that it's really about creating that inclusive um, culture of mentoring, that that's just part of what we do and how we take care of each other, Sure. Um, which I'm optimistic. I don't know why that it's going to start to that this, these kind of tools, as we become more data focused, they're going to become more important, especially in a remote environment. Absolutely. I, Julie, I do have one quick story, if I may. Please. I think to your point about the culture of mentoring, I think that sometimes mentors need models or they might even need exemplars or examples of how simple it can be or even how complex it could be. Like it's, it's, there's a range, right? And when I was in grad school, I remember when I went to Professor uh, John Freeman, he's passed on now, so may he rest in peace. But I remember I went to him one day and I said to him, you know what, my space was vandalized. People have been not very nice to me. I don't know if it's about my race. I don't know if it has to do with being the only black woman in the building. Is it my gender? I just couldn't figure it out. Right. He was an advisor to me, so he had a bit of a mentorship role, but it wasn't a formal mentorship relationship. But when I went to him and he said to me, AJ, I want you to know that if your space was vandalized, it probably is about your race. Let's not take that off the table, even though we weren't sure what it was at that point. The fact that he was able to say that to me in that moment where I felt like he validated my experience, I felt like he saw me. To me, that's where that mentoring relationship began. And sometimes I think leaders, they need to hear stories where sometimes you spark that mentoring relationship by actually validating the experiences of underrepresented talent in a way that you might be that the first person at that company that might have done that. So it doesn't always have to be this formal thing. It can be formal, but it sometimes starts with building trust. And back to Jimmy's point earlier about like, what is that social capital that you're both going to be sort of trading back Mm -hmm. and forth as you go along? And I, I think those stories and those examples are really important for organizations, especially in academia, really important for them to see, right? Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing this story and being seen and validated. It's a really important piece for mentors where it's very different from advisors because if Mm -hmm. he was acting as an advisor he may have told you no this is what i think right because there's only one option when you're telling somebody what to do normally or you're giving specific routes whereas mentoring they're seeing you as a whole and not taking anything off the table absolutely and i can tell you this so now that i'm this age and stage in my career i now have people coming to me i mean perfect strangers (laughs) coming to me asking for support, mentorship, can I meet with you? Can you help me with this, that, and the other? And I, I need to think about, okay, what what role do I want to play, right? Am I an instrumental mentor? Am I a psychosocial mentor? What do I have to give? What can I provide that will support this person along? And also, what's my capacity? Because I can't 
meet with everyone, right? So I, I feel like it's important for me at this point, it's important for me to give back just based on how much has been given to me. But I also want to be intentional about that giving back. I just, I can't meet with everyone. I can't share with everyone. I can do this in terms of being invited today. So the message is is spread out more broadly. But I really try to be intentional about, you know, how I can support that person, letting the mentee know what I can and can't do. So if I can't do something, I'm very upfront about that. I can write you that letter or you know what, I cannot write you that letter or I cannot do, you know, I can't do a one hour Zoom call. I can do 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just managing um, expectations and I'm always trying to put myself in the shoes of the mentee. Like, where was I 20 years ago? How was I feeling when I asked for that for that meeting? How was I feeling when it looked like, you know, the person's nervous, like during the call, right? All of those little things, I try to keep top of mind now, now that I'm giving it back. AJ, if I could throw out uh, two proposed definitions at you, just that you're making me really think through this relationship between social capital and mentoring. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of teasing this out here. I'm curious what you think, which is let's define differently mentoring and how it affects an organization versus mentoring and how it affects two people. Yep. And Julie hasn't heard this yet. And so she's rolling her eyes if she could. I'm bracing myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm bracing yeah. myself. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's going to be a ride. Social capital, as defined by Oxford Dictionary, is the networks of relationships among people who live and work in a particular society, enabling that society to function effectively. I'll switch society to organization. And instead say that then mentoring for organizations is to increase that group's social capital as a whole. So instead of one individual, potentially like the CEO, having all of this social capital and others having less, if you start giving social capital from one person to another, social capital doesn't decrease. It's not like a dollar. Like if I, if I have a dollar and I give it to Julie, there's still only $1 between the two of us. Mm-hmm. But if I have a relationship and then Julie begins to have a relationship with that same person, we're actually growing the pie. It's not one gets, is like get removed from one person and a dollar is given to another. It's like, I still have my relationship. And now Julie also has a relationship. One is now 1.5 or mm-hmm. one is now two. It's not Boolean. So I'd say then mentoring for individuals is really that emotional investment between two people where you share just a little, that excitement of successes and failures, which increases the social capital of two people as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I don't know what, what, you, what you think about that, but as a way of kind of starting to document numerically mm-hmm. that the beauty of mentoring is that you are not you know taking a dollar from somebody and giving to somebody else, but you're taking a dollar and giving half of it to somebody else, and now you have one and a half dollars for an organization. You've actually increased your value. Absolutely. I'd love to see how this definition evolves over time. I really love it. I don't know if this definition exists out there, but I think it's a really great concept. I like the idea of social capital as well, because I link it to DEI in the sense that Mm -hmm. when I am thinking or talking to companies about large scale culture, culture change, like culture change from the ground up, that requires social capital because DEI won't happen unless individuals are changing changing mindsets, changing behaviors, changing attitudes. And this is why there's so much research around, you know, what's the impact of DEI training on on, on attitudes and, and, and behavior in the workplace. And that's why the, the research is so mixed, because you can come in and do something for an hour, and then a week later, <laughs> nothing's changed and the blow up still happens because someone made, you know, a huge error, uh, not thinking mm-hmm. about everything that they just learned. So I think when it comes to this idea of social capital, I always want to remember that when it comes to mentorship, that social capital piece is to me, it's built in. It's built into relationships, but I also think it's built into what we need to think about with respect to DEI. Julie, what do you think? Are, are you so white knuckled you passed out? 
I, to AJ's point, like, I'm excited to see your infographic. <laughs> um, oh, what a diplomatic we'll, answer, Julie. Connect, connect the dots. No, I, I totally agree. I love the idea of anything being regenerative. I guess that's probably the right word, right? That it's not, it's not finite. And even going back to relationships, right? It's not, there's nothing finite. There's, there is enough it just multiplies. Um, yeah. So I think that being able to remember that is huge. I think that's a lot yeah. of like why we're even having this conversation, right? Sure. Like everybody can actually be successful. Sure. Just because you're successful does not mean I'm not successful. So I love it. I think I think there's a lot there. I do have one other thing to to add to this, Julie. So one of the things we haven't spoken about today, and this question comes up a lot with respect to mentoring underrepresented groups is this idea of, okay, I'm a black female, I'm in the workplace, do I need a black female mentor? So for me, this idea of social capital is so critical because the three of us are on a call right now and we're talking as friends. And I'm able to say to each of you, you know what, we need to have lunch, we need to tease this out because there are pros and cons to me being assigned, let's say it's a formal mentorship program. Pros and cons to me being assigned a black female mentor. On the one hand, I'm like, yay, you look like me. We, we can talk about our hair. We can talk about our challenges. We have a shared ex- lived experience. But on the other hand, if that mentor can't be a sneezer for me, can't go into rooms because we're both locked out, isn't invited to the table, how effective is that pairing? And I feel like in terms of social capital, as soon as we start moving the mentorship conversation into anything relating to race, identity, all of a sudden everyone clams up and is like, oh, sorry, we took a wrong turn. We can't talk about this. But for me, I can't be an effective leader if I am not going to be intentional about who I'm going to match the mentee with. And in some cases, what I'm going to argue is you may have to match them with three people. So that the black female who might be, you know, right just below the C-suite, that person might be good for some pieces of what the mentee needs. But maybe the white male in the C-suite might be the best person (laughs) to be Mm -hmm. that sponsor because now the black female that you're trying to pair me with, she and I are both in the same boat, but she might be further along, but she's not at the table either. So how... How is she really helping me beyond the the psychosocial? Got it. Definitely there. But when it comes to the sponsorship part, I feel like we are leaving a lot of information on the table when we're not being honest and we're not tapping into that social capital to say, you know what, Jimmy, you know what, Julie, we really need to like just hammer this out because this is not a one-size-fits-all equation. I think that there's a need for us to bring this conversation to the academy, for us to bring this conversation to workplaces so that leaders can start mulling it over with their teams and going, you know what, this needs to be an open discussion because if I'm a mentee and you say I'm part of your program and you're tracking success and I see that, yes, you gave me a psychosocial mentor, but what I really needed was a sponsor... To me, great. Thank you for the psychosocial mentor, but I don't feel successful because that's not what I needed. You did not provide what I needed for my career. Mm. I think, you know, if you're trying to get from A to Z, there's the people who can get you from A to H or, you know, (laughs) M, right? Right? And it's like, okay, who's going to get you you for those last weird letters in the alphabet that have the X's and the Y's and all that? Like, who is going to actually get you all the way if that's where you want to go, that's right. if that's where you want to go and if that's what you want. So really going back to maybe what that key goal is, if the goal is to feel you know comfortable in a role that is comfortable and not all the way up in the C-suite, then right, then who's that priority? So that's right. I love that. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way. And we always talk about, of course, the tribe of mentors and all the people that you want to have, you know, supporting you. But I think the framework that you gave us around what role specific individuals can play within an organization. And maybe there are people that are actually not within the organization that are better suited to do that. But how can organizations really support all those various needs? So this was, this was a really cool framework that you put out for us. Thank you. AJ, and this was actually just a lot of, I think, really new information for Jimmy and I and for our listeners that I think we're going to be able to take back to various organizations. That's awesome. Please let me know. I'm, I'm open, willing to continue the conversation. 
really like chatting with you. I get really passionate about this topic. So please don't mind me. <laughs> but yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. And I and I hope to continue. There's so much to learn. Gosh, the literature just there's so much out there about mentorship. It's one of these like, it feels like such a big topic. What I like to do is kind of take a piece of it and just kind of run with a small piece so that I feel like I'm able to manage it because it can feel so overwhelming. Absolutely. I'm going to guess Jimmy has a few last questions for you. I do, AJ. I want to quickly go through a rapid fire word association with you. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just four words. I'm going to say a word and not like a sneezer in the relationship way, but like a sneezer in the automatic response way. Okay. I just want to hear what comes to mind. Okay. okay. So when I say the word mentor, what do you say? Sage. Sage. When Ooh. I say mentee? Bunge. Bunge. Love it. How about the word sponsor? I'm going to say sneezer. Love it. I'm going to come back to that. And how about when I say coach? Guide. Guide. Mm-hmm. AJ, I got to end with, I have never had sneezer defined as a noun other than somebody who uh, has stuff come out their nose often. Can you... <laughs> Can you define that for us before we wrap up? I was like, I was thinking Jimmy and I were going to spend our whole outro jamming on what a sneezer is. So <laughs> you asked. Yes. Okay. I should have defined that earlier. My apologies. I define a sneezer as someone who tells the world everything that's great about you. So uh, a sneezer would be a mentor who every opportunity the mentor gets lets everyone know why the mentee is so amazing, what the mentee's doing. They might, you know, pass out and we no longer pass out business cards, but they might say, you've got to check out this person's Instagram. You've got to check out the program that this person did. I know someone who you might want to connect to about this person. So just someone who it's almost like a cheerleader about this person. Right, right, right. And so we say sneeze because when you sneeze, you know, stuff goes everywhere. So the idea, I know it maybe feels a bit gross, but the idea is that you're diffusing this information out in the world and you're being very intentional about spreading it far and wide. And for me, I benefited from sneezers in my career. And then I'm hoping that I can be a sneezer for mentees that I want to see get to where they're wanting to go. So that's my definition. I love it. I duly's often called me a sneezer yeah. uh, for, for you know physiological reasons, but now I understand <laughs> that for uh, psychological reasons, Julie's the true sneezer of the group. That's amazing. That's probably more than you needed to know. But yeah, <laughs> that is probably accurate, I would say. Oh. Wow. AJ, thank you so much. We are so excited to have had this conversation with you, to continue the conversation about the great work that you are doing. We will definitely be sneezing for you through <laughs> this you? podcast as well as out in the world. So thank you so much. Julie, you got your tissues ready? Oh my gosh, that was a lot. I'm so overwhelmed and excited. And what you did not learn on this podcast is the trifecta. May I share? The trifecta. Okay. The trifecta. Kleenex, tissues, what else? What's the third one? No. AJ is clearly a very special person to us who just kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But you I know where have you're going a now. birthday that is the same birthday as me, is also the same birthday as AJ. How weird is that? Whoa. whoa, whoa. That is bizarre. Three of us with the 7-Eleven lucky Slurpee Day birthdays. Yep. I mean, we're all different years, but like that's crazy, I think. If you need a slush at a convenience store, July 11th is the day to go looking. You have three coupons en route from listening to Augmenters. But I think that just showed maybe that we're you know kind of all in the same wavelength. I think a lot of what Dr. Jack Davies, AJ, talked about is a lot of the things that we have been thinking about all this time. Mm -hmm. And she just has research to show it. Not just oh, yeah. gut instinct like we have. Mm-mm. Yeah. And she's out there doing it. I mean, right now with her consulting firm, she is out there globally assisting companies deliver value through the diversity within their organization by making inclusive communities and making sure all have equity and agency within them. I mean, yeah. what, what else could you ask for to make sure that your organization is going to prevail 
and deliver value to its customers. 150% and create those connections within the organizations. I loved how she talked about the different kinds of mentors you could potentially have, the different roles that mentors play, the different responsibility that diverse mentors have within organizations, Mm -hmm. which is something we hear all the time that the diverse groups, the women in leadership often have to play an outsized role and mentoring other groups. And I loved how she actually had research to talk about that. And I am so grateful that she brought so many of those sort of evidence-based ideas to us. Completely. It's that important. I mean, now there's more than enough content out there talking about the importance of these principles around DEI, JEDI, you name it. But when you can then bring the numbers as Anita showed us, that's when you start really changing the budgets. And it's funny that all these business people continue to have diversity, equity, inclusion as a role, as a nice to have, though it is harming the organizations when it is not something that is part of their value proposition. It needs to be part of any high-powered organization. And it it is themes that people have talked about forever, but it has not been truly inclusive. And you actually need to bring everybody to the table. And and as you said, Julie, earlier on, it is so important that the initial folks who are breaking through the glass ceiling organizations, everyone else who is at the same level needs to understand the extra pressure on those individuals. And if those people who have already been represented and are overrepresented in these leadership positions, if these overrepresented groups do not understand that they are in a different situation than folks who are underrepresented in these leadership positions, then these overrepresented people need to go out and educate themselves for the better of their organization. And not just for the better in like a nice, like whimsical, oh yeah, this would be nice. No, no. Dollars and cents. They're going to make more money for themselves and more importantly, more money for their entire organization. And serve diverse customers. I feel like that's the part that's like, nobody's missing the fact that like this, this, at least within the United States and globally, Mm -hmm. the face of your consumer is changing. And if the face of your leadership team is not changing or the face of your executive team is not changing, then you need to be really considering this. And we are in a fascinating time, Jimmy, around DE&I. There is so much happening just today. Harvard's president stepped down. Mm. There is so much talk around DE&I in organizations that it's, un, you know, that's undervalued, but at the same time, there is still so much research about how important it is. So I feel like our job is to keep the drumbeat on and to keep talking about ways that organizations can use mentoring to create more community and belonging And that's what we're here for. What we're here for. We're here to continue to create and improve the understanding of social capital and how diversity, equity, inclusion plays directly into social capital. And Anita tied into one of our favorite, thank you, AJ, tied into one of our favorite themes, which is scarcity versus abundancy. You start thinking about the time we're in. 2024 is an abundancy time, regardless of what you're doing or where you are. If you're listening to this podcast, you are on the abundancy side. Figure out how to not be worried about what you might lose, but what you might gain by helping others. Totally. And if you are still listening to this podcast, we give you three high fives for all 7-Eleven birthdays. And we are grateful that you listened. Keep staying tuned. We are super excited about what 2024 has to offer here at Augmenters. And this was a great way to start. Thank you, Dr. Jack Davies. AJ, we're talking soon. Augmenters out. Augmenters out. Wow, you've made it this far and we thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or on social with our handle at augmentershq. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out an earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See ya. Thank you.